There's glory in the legends of this hard muscle life. And there's poetry in each season made of sweat and strife. But now's the time to work and strain at a sport that tests the spirit and challenges the brain. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go. Yeah, I'd like to have 75 degrees and sunny all the time, too, but that's not football. Do you fear the force of the wind, the slash of the rain? We're going to play a suit right now, man. Go face them and fight them. Be savage again. Welcome back to Coach's Corner. We begin the transition from NFL Draft Preview to NFL Draft Recap. And I kind of decided to do this uh, in a divisional breakdown. I think I'm going to attempt to release two podcasts a week. That way, within a month's time, we'll have completed the entire league. And today we start with the AFC East. Now, I don't know if it's just me, but anytime I try to contextualize a list of uh, NFL divisions, I always start with AFC East. Now, is that my Dolphins fan childhood bias? Maybe, but I mean, it could also be just the way it used to always show up in the newspaper. AFC East was always on top when you looked at the standings. But one thing I do know that everyone does is when you talk AFC East, you start with the Patriots. And really, since the day after Mo Lewis knocked out Drew Bledsoe, up until now, that has gone unchanged. And, you know, certainly seems like there could be a changing of the guard now. We have uh, Tom headed to Tampa Bay. So, end of an era. I'm sad over it. Most people are really excited that the Patriots are kind of the villain. But I've always respected the way that Coach Belichick has run that team. And as an aspiring coach myself, that's he does things similar to how I would. So I've always really rooted for, for New England ever since my Dolphin fan childhood days have been in the rear view. But so we start with New England. Now, interesting thing about this draft for both them and Green Bay um, is they decided to pass on wide receiver. They didn't take a single receiver, the deepest wide receiver class in recent memory. Now... I'm all for zigging when everyone else zags, and it is typically good to be contrarian in any sort of speculative industry, and the draft is just that. It's speculation uh, when you break it down to its simplest uh, form. But I looked at the last four Belichick drafts, and I really didn't see much. You know, he hit on a few guys, but I almost think that there's been a tendency to get a little too cute in recent years, and I think in general that theme has continued. Now, the whole receiver, fading receiver things for uh, New England and Green Bay, I think it's a clear statement that they're trying to turn back the clock and play a lot of 21 and 22 personnel, double tight end set, two back sets, 
and pound the rock. Now, that could be successful in the NFL. I, I really believe you could win games that way with a good defense and really good special teams. And not many teams are building that way, so I could see, you know, sort of the general idea behind it. Now, I don't know what New England's going to do at quarterback. There's a lot of speculation that Cam Newton may end up there. But I think it could be kind of a QB-friendly offense if, if they sort of play ball control and double tight end, two back, really establish the run. That could help out their rookie QBs a little more so than playing, you know, a ton of run-and-shoot empty stuff. So I could see it from that perspective, but it just seemed like strange timing uh, with how deep this receiving class was to not at least you know, take a stab at one or two of these guys that could be big-time talented players for many years in the NFL. I'm going to kind of start bottom-up in these teams' drafts. So New England's last pick was the 230th pick in the draft, and they went with an interior offensive lineman from Memphis. Um, Dustin Woodard, undersized, 6'1", 295. He did start 52 games at Memphis, which was neat, and um, displayed some position flex as well. He played left guard, then right guard, then center in, in his final season at Memphis. He's a high academic kid, so I think that bodes really well for him at the next level, especially at the center position. You have to process a lot of data pre-snap at center, so... I think that's where he transitions to most easily. Um, moves well. He's a good finisher. Long arms, too, so that'll help him in pass protection. And really with these, you know, sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks, when you're drafting an offensive lineman, uh, you're looking at depth. And that shouldn't be something that we gloss over. You know, it's not the sexiest thing. Oh, we took a backup center. Great. Now, let me tell you, if you're in the NFL coaching staff meeting and you're looking at the depth chart if you're the offensive line coach and you take a quick peek over at the board and you have nothing on the line after your starter you're nervous because may not mean much to us watching on tv but there's sheer panic if your center goes down and you don't have a lot of confidence in the next guy up like that could just wreck the the game and season so Depth is extremely important and underrated, and that's really what you're looking at with these, you know, early 200s picks. It's obviously going to be quite difficult to find immediate impact this late in the draft. So Dustin Woodard pick, I was pretty bullish on the pick. I like that he played 52 games. I like his brain. I think he translates nicely at center at the next level. Didn't love their next pick. 204, Cash Malo- Cash Malauai. The Hawaiian names give me trouble if you haven't noticed. Uh, six foot, 248, really boxy frame. Now, when you're taking a linebacker in the 200 range, for me personally, it's essential that they're going to be able to play special teams because it's just going to be tough to make the roster as a pure backer that doesn't offer anything in that department. And I think he has a tough time contributing on special teams. He's not overly fast. He's not necessarily a, a sound tackler. So I don't see, you know, his his special teams translation really at all. Now, I don't mind him as a backup backer. He played mainly Sam backer at Wyoming, which is the strong side. Um, was a very good college player. Had a nose for the ball, knack for interceptions as well. But like I said, you know, he doesn't have the ability to be a starting linebacker. So he's going to be penciled in as a backup for sure. And he can't play special teams for me. So 
I, that that pick kind of puzzled me. I, I don't see how Cash makes the roster. Next, Justin Heron with the 195th pick. This was probably my favorite pick uh, New England had in the draft, which doesn't say a whole lot for their draft, I guess. Um, <clears throat> mainly a b- big fan of his versatility. You know, he could play ta- he played tackle exclusively at Wake, but I think you know shortish arms. He probably translates a little bit better to guard at the next level. Uh, he was a captain, which I love. We're going to get to that a lot. In this podcast, a lot of captains were drafted, particularly towards the bottom end of these teams' draft uh, draft boards. He was in the 87th percent percentile burst score, so he's more athletic than people give him credit for. And I think Justin Heron just provides immediate immediate depth at offensive tackle slash guard. I think he could be a starting guard one day. I think he could be a very sound number two tackle. Um just moves well, good athlete, big frame. I don't see how Justin Heron busts. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't make the roster. Not as high on their next pick, 182. They took an interior offensive lineman, Mike Onwenu from Michigan. Uh, played about six inches away from Cesar Ruiz, who was a first-team All-American and first-round selection of the Saints. So Mike had a good sidekick in college for sure. Um, 344. He just looks fat in a uniform. He definitely needs to trim down a bit. Um, I do like his motor and his finish. He actually did lose some weight uh, at the combine. He he apparently was playing at Michigan closer to 360. So he's heading in the right direction, almost 20 pounds down from that uh, starting point. But I don't know. I just don't see enough agility and, and lateral movement. I could see how he'd be a depth piece at, at guard, but... Not nearly as versatile or athletic as Heron, so I'm kind of neutral on the pick. You know, these big bodies are not easy to find. I get that, and depth is important at the O-line position, but I, I wasn't overly thrilled with the Unwinu film. The next pick is just really uh, bonkers. Justin Rohrwasser, the kicker from Marshall. Now, this dude apparently has like a white supremacist a tattoo on his body that he claims he didn't exactly understand the meaning of make make of that what you will Uh, obviously not a uh a a great sign to that he has that stuff being painted on his body without knowing what it means if that's even true um weird pick i mean i'm not gonna sit here and break down a kicker but apparently his specialty is directional kickoffs which belichick loves but if that's what you're going to take a kicker for especially with how the kickoff is kind of being phased out in the nfl I just don't get it. There were better, more accurate kickers on the board. Uh, he did make a 53-yard walk-off, so maybe he's got some clutch genes to him. Uh, pretty calm, cool kid under pressure. But at 159, I just think there was a lot of other directions they could have gone. And to take a kicker whose specialty is directional kickoffs seems kind of bizarre to me. Classic Belichick. Um, but again, we we have to you know, hold back our expectations because people say, oh, Belichick, I'm sure this he'll be a Hall of Fame kicker. Now, just look at these last four drafts. I'm telling you he's done a poor job in recent years, and no one is a bigger fan of Bill uh, than me. The next two picks were interesting. They're both tight ends. Something New England loves to do is formation you out of similar personnel packages. And what I mean by that is, so let's say Asi Asi and Dalton Keene, the, these next two guys that I'm going to break down, 
are on the field at the same time, and there's one running back in the game. Typically, that would be called 12 personnel from a defensive perspective, and that's all you have pre-snap you know, as a defensive coordinator when you're making your call. You don't know what formation they're going to line up in. Sure, you could have some checks and stuff built in, but you're making your base call pretty much due to the down and distance and personnel that the other team comes out of the huddle in. So with these two guys in the game, I think they could formation teams for anything from pro style, meaning you know two backs and a tight end, because Keen can play fullback. He can play some H-back. Uh, they could play empty with these two guys in the field because they're both pretty polished route runners. Basically what I'm saying is that, that they have positional versatility and position flex, which is really critical for a Patriot scheme. So it made a little more sense after I went back and watched the tape on these guys of why they pulled the trigger. I actually like Dalton Keene better. He was the pick at 101, a tight end from Virginia Tech. Very good athlete, a junior captain, which again is, is huge for me. He's 75th percentile or higher in speed, agility, and burst. Also 71st percentile in breakout age, so there is definitely some reason for optimism regarding his upside. Just a versatile player, um, kind of moves like a running back in the open field. Very strong hands, good hands catcher. He's not a great blocker. He's willing, you know, and likes to play physical and get in there, but it's not really his strength. He's not, I think he has to develop his uh, lower half and core strength to become a, a more consistent blocker. He is willing to do it, like I said, but he's not a bruiser, you know, fullback type for sure. I think he flashes a little bit more in space. Now, Asiasi, different body entirely, 6'3", 280, but also ran a 4'7", which those guys don't grow on trees at, at, that, at that weight that can move like him, so I could understand why they kind of reach for Asiasi, but kind of a tweener. You know, he's, again, he's a willing blocker, but he's not a great blocker, so you're not just, it wasn't like they drafted one blocking tight end, one receiving tight end. They're both... Uh, versatile tweenish type players that I think could complement each other nicely. Um, does he intend on becoming a better blocker or a better receiver though? Because at his weight, he needs to trim down if he wants to be a twitchy enough route runner at the next level to be that sort of um, Ingram from the Giants type, you know, wide receiver slash tight end, which actually, believe it or not, despite his frame, I think that's probably his his most useful area because he's just not a very physical blocker. He doesn't finish reps. I mean, he wants to get in there again, but I don't know if it's more technique based. I'd have to have a tight end coach on to help me with that, but he, he's not an overwhelmingly good block, gifted blocker. Let's just leave it at that. So Asiasi, I mean, explosive, definitely a big time receiving threat, a good route runner, but like I said, kind of needs to decide which direction he's going to go in. I don't think he can carry that weight and be an elite route runner and, you know, vertical threat at the next level. The next pick, Anthony Jennings. This was the 87th pick in the draft. 6'2", 256. Now, this was a kid at Bama that showed a lot of promise early on in his career there. Guy that I never really liked, though, because what flashed to me, without even having to watch the tape, he has no motor at all doesn't chase down plays in pursuit, you know, this would have been an extremely bearish pick for me. 
other than the fact that Nick Saban and Bill have a really strong rapport. So I would be shocked if, if you know, Bill pulled the trigger here without getting Saban's, you know, blessing. And I don't think Nick Saban at this stage of his career would be afraid to say, you know, coach, you don't want to go this direction. I mean, he, he doesn't have to fluff up his program at this stage of the game. So any Bama guy that gets the stamp of approval uh, to go to New England, I'm kind of a little bit more comfortable with. But the ability is there for sure. Um, he doesn't really dominate in a specific area, so he's kind of like one of those hybrid type backers that Belichick likes to bring in. The Anthony Jennings pick, I mean, makes some sense, like I said, but a direction also I would not have, have gone in. Similar to their 60th pick, this was um, the tail end of the second round. They took Josh Uche, 6'1", 245. Now this is a, he was an edge rusher classified in the uh, in the draft breakdown podcasts, but he played out of position at Michigan. Being only 6'1", they had his hand in the dirt a lot, playing defensive end. I just didn't think that fit his game. Um, Bill has taken some chances on some Michigan guys before that haven't necessarily panned out. I think he's a 3-4 outside backer. He's a really good blitzer, a smooth zone dropper, can play man coverage as well. So another versatile tool for that Belichick defense. But he just wasn't an overly violent player. He wasn't willing to burn the village that we talked at length about in the edge rusher podcast. So just not my type of player. I see the versatility. I see the upside that Bill probably saw about him being used incorrectly at Michigan. So maybe that's why they reached, but not a huge fan, to be honest, of the Josh Uche pick. The next pick is a shame for me because I really do like the player, but I have to be bullish on the pick. I think 37 was just way too early, and that's Kyle Duggar, the safety out of Lenore Ryan. Um, Duggar killed the combine. He was 87th percentile in speed, 98th percentile burst score, 6'1", 217. Now, Duggar was a tough eval for me. You know, Coach Ruley agreed when we took, talked about safeties way back on the first podcast. He really, he's very athletic, obviously, based on his combine measurables, but he's 24 years old and played in Division Two. I mean, I don't know how much room there is for growth for a guy like him. He was just a man against boys on tape, so it's tough for me how it's going to translate at the next level. I mean, super twitchy, immediate impact on special teams in the return game, um, uncoils well. You know, he has the, the skill set, but I, again, I don't see how he merits the 37th pick. He wasn't my first safety off the board. I mean, he was probably fifth in terms of the safety rankings this season. So I'm not exactly sure what Bill was doing there, but I think Duggar will be a good player, don't get me wrong. I just don't think he has, you know, the floor that I'm looking for with the 37th pick. I think a lot of things can potentially go wrong with him just as sort of a culture shock to see how much more athletic everyone is going to become compared to what he was used to at Lenore Rhine. So that's the New England draft. Uh, I didn't love it, but in hindsight, the double tight end stuff makes a little more sense to me as I saw how uh, flexible those guys were in terms of different positions they could play on the field. Kind of makes a little bit more sense. I like what they did offensive line-wise at the tail end of the draft. And 
initially thought that they had the worst draft in the whole league, just watching it in real time, but possibly not as bad as I thought. But again, not great in my book. And now, just wanted to address one thing. I hate, hate, hate the mainstream media giving these draft grades out. They do it right after the draft. And basically, it's just a competition to see which team fell most closely in line with your views. And it's very biased and never objectively done. So I'm not going to give out strict letter grades. I'm just going to evaluate position by position, player by player, and you guys can sort of generate on your own how you think your team did in the draft. And none of us will know for sure for a couple of years anyway. So it's still fun to recap, but I'm not going to just be labeling you know blanket grades on these teams. I think that that's sort of an overdone process and just something I'm not willing to get into. So I think the team that will be taking the reins soon in the AFC East if not right now, is the Buffalo Bills. I think they had a really good draft. They were a a few plays away, to me a bad call away, from putting away Houston in the first round last year on the road. Uh, The way that they came out in that game really opened my eyes to them. I wasn't exactly a huge Bills believer, but they have some impressive speed, strength, power at critical positions that I think will sort of carry them going forward. I like the Bills. I like their mindset. They're a tough lunch pal team. I think they're going to really rise quickly in the AFC East. So why don't we start from the bottom down with Buffalo. Their final pick was pick number 239. It was Dane Jackson, a corner from Pitt. Now, interesting player, six foot. 187, a captain, a very violent and sturdy tackler. That's probably what stands out on film most for him. Now, there's a misconception that these late-round corners, they, they can become your nickel or dime guys. That's really not the case. The guys that can cover inside in the slot like that are usually your elite, elite coverage players and not necessarily like your third-best corner. Typically, your second-best cover guy will play on the perimeter, uh, n- not in the slot. Now, Dane Jackson, I think, immediately offers help on special teams. I'd like his skill set, especially in zone coverage, so offers some depth schematically in that regard. My only concern for him is the frame is really small. You know, at only 187, he actually looks even smaller than that in a uniform. The type of blows he's trying to deliver on a consistent basis I just don't know if his body's going to hold up in the league. Now, that's really my only complaint on him. Um, I love that he has no wasted movement in his reps. Like I said, he's really good in zone coverage. He diagnoses plays efficiently. So, Dane Jackson, again, if he could stay healthy, I think it's a really solid pick at 239, but not sure if that will be able to be the case. So, moving on to pick 207, they took... A kid that had an exceptional college career. That's Isaiah Hodgins from Oregon State. 6'4", 210, 86 catches for over 1,000 yards his junior year with 13 touchdowns. Now, the weird thing about Hodgins, he's a guy that I liked a lot in real time this year, you know, before I even had a chance to dive into the tape. I just don't understand why he came out this year. I mean, it's such a loaded wide receiver class. Um he sort of went through some really lean years early on at Oregon State, but they kind of, to me, seem to have turned the corner at least. They're sort of a bowl-eligible 
competition type team nowadays. And when he was first there, they were almost a laughing stock in the Pac-12, just getting run out of the building week to week. And that's not the case anymore. They have some good good young coaches at Oregon State, and I think they're going the right direction as a program. So it just it seemed like a weird time for Isaiah Hodgins to leave. I think he could have actually done with some polishing as well. Um, tends to be overrated a bit by people about his ball skills. I think a lot of his um, – he does make some really good contested catches. I'll give him that. But he kind of sort of becomes a body catcher more often than I'd like to see, especially on the routine throws, which is a bit of a problem. Um, He's an underrated route runner, though. He does a really nice job against press. He's patient but decisive at the line of scrimmage. The ball skills, like I talked about, he does flash some high-end elite catches, but I'm concerned that he regresses to a body catcher on the easy ones. He's not a certainly, certainly isn't a super twitched up speed demon. You know, he's not going to, you know, catch a slant and take it for 80 yards. So yards after catch is not his specialty, but his ability to go get the jump balls and and run efficient routes. I think he's an immediate, you know, addition in the red zone for sure. They kind of have some smaller bodied receivers there right now. So they could use a, you know, a, a throw it up fade type guy. But I think Hodgins, that's selling him short that that's all he can do. I, I, I like Hodgins. I like a receiver that they took at, at pick 128 as well. But I'd be surprised if at least one, if not both of these guys, turns into a productive NFL uh, wideout and a good weapon for Josh Allen. Um, at 188, Buffalo took Tyler Bass, a kicker from Georgia Southern, um, a, a captain now. Again, I'm not going to go crazy with the kicker breakdown, but I do like you know, how he moves. He's an efficient mover, strong, accurate leg. What really stood out, I watched a few clips, he has a super high trajectory on his field goals, which is kind of rare in college, and that's a big deal at the next level because you better get that kick up more because there's some tall D linemen that are trying to block kicks in the league. So you know, height and still being able to carry the ball that far while kicking with a higher trajectory is a, a, a deadly combination for a kicker. Um, I think he's got a good chance of winning the kicking job this year. Hausch is on his last year of his deal. Probably a guy that could be moved rather easily because he is above average. And I think that gives him some options at kicker. I like Tyler Bass from Georgia Southern. Next pick was a guy that I'm disappointed lasted on the board for this long because I'm a big fan of his, and that's Jake Fromm. The quarterback from Georgia, of course. Now, we talked extensively about Fromm's skill set uh, in the quarterback's preview pod, so I'm not going to rehash everything. Just a, a competitive kid, an 80th percentile wonderlick guy, sees the field really well. Um, if anything, the combine hurt him because guys like Jacob Eason were throwing right next to him, and the raw physicality and tools that a player like Eason brings compared to Fromm I think kind of hurt his stock in hindsight. Um, now, if you want a guy to plug and play and be your backup right now, I, I'll, I'll take Jake Fromm all day over some of those other guys. And I, I'm very curious to see how his career develops. It's interesting that he lands behind Josh Allen, who is kind of the polar opposite, rocket arm guy, freak athlete. So it definitely adds some balance and intrigue to the quarterback room in Buffalo. I don't think there's a quarterback competition there by any means, but they needed depth at the position, 
And Fromm is a guy that I think, you know, Buffalo anticipates that they're going to be competing this year. So they better have an able-bodied backup. You know, you may need him for a few games midseason if something happens to Josh. And just very curious to see how this works out for Fromm in Buffalo. Per, like, biased, I would have rather seen him land in a spot where he has a better chance to win the starting job. But I think Buffalo is a decent fit for him at the end of the day. So at 128, Buffalo took Gabriel Davis, uh, sort of a flashy wide receiver from UCF, another excellent college career. 6'2", 216 pounder, but fast. He ran a 4.5, 80th percentile in breakout age. So again, reason for some upside there. 23 touchdowns over his three-year career. 30% of the target share is junior season, which is a ton for a wide receiver. Um, he had over 1,200 yards on 72 catches also his junior year. So massively productive. Only worry that you would have for him is UCF is a very offense-friendly system. You know, they, they really throw it all over the place. They run high-tempo, up-tempo offense, and they kind of overwhelmed a lot of their opponents. So I don't know how much of that stuff is fluff. But when you watch the tape, I do see a smooth route runner. Um, he's a hands catcher, which I like. Very explosive. Kind of a well-rounded receiver. No issues getting off jams. Does a really nice job stacking the DB. And... He's a threat to house it after he catches it. So a nice compliment to Hodgins, who they took at 207. This is kind of more of a game-breaking type guy. Not small by any means at 6'2", but he doesn't have the Hodgins frame. I think Gabriel Davis steps in right away and can play your second receiver position There's like rather easily. Their, their receiving core is not overly deep. They have some guys like Beasley. You know, They traded for Diggs. But I think Gabriel Davis is an impact player for Buffalo. And at 128, that's pretty damn good. Two more picks for the Bills at 86. And these are both guys that I was not overly high on, kind of neutral. But where they got them, I think the picks are acceptable. They took Zach Moss at 86. You know, he's the he's the tailback, the versatile cat from, from uh, Utah. He's... You know, a smaller package guy, 5'9", but 223, thick kid, 4'6", kind of hurt him a bit. 800 college touches, a lot of tread on the tires, but a very polished back. He's, a, he's good in pass pro. Uh, a three-down complete back, and they needed some depth at the running back position. Again, if I was in a more of a rebuilding mode, I'm not taking it back here at 86. But I think it's kind of a luxury pick for Buffalo. They anticipate being in the mix this season and... They're running back after their starter, which is Singletary, which I like a lot. He's a good player. Uh, their next on their depth chart was TJ Yeldon, who's pretty much exclusively a pass-catching back. So they definitely needed some depth at running back, a guy that can take it between the tackles and just play the complete position as it's meant to be played. So a very high floor pick. I don't think he's ever going to be a stud RB1. So you can argue the merit of reaching there at 86. That being said, I'm okay with the pick, mainly because of the position Buffalo is in roster-wise and sort of in their trajectory in the AFC East. At 54, they went with A.J. Epinesa. He's a guy that slid on some mainstream mock draft draft boards as we went on. Uh, DN from Iowa. Now, I kind of thought Epinesa was, I don't want to say fraud, but he's not a, a 
you know, a dominant edge rusher as his, you know, statistics would indicate. A lot of his pressures came when he was moved inside over the guard and had favorable matchups. Now, he is a bit of an underrated athlete. He's not stiff by any means. I think he has to polish up some mechanics and at 6'5", 275, he could be, you know, a force to be reckoned with at some point, but he's just not polished yet. And I talked about that with these Iowa guys in general. A lot of, a lot of Iowa players the last handful of years have been better than advertised once they got to the league. There's some something going on with the old school coaching at Iowa that they're not getting the best out of these elite athletes at the college level. Back to Epinesa, though, I think he's a prototype 4-3-D end, but needs to embrace NFL coaching. That's really the, the, uh, the spin I have on Epinesa. So that's Buffalo's draft. I think they did a really nice job, especially with the two receivers later on. I even like the Dane Jackson pick at 240, but at the top end, eh, I was kind of mediocre on them. Not down on them, not high on them. I think somewhere in the middle, but overall a very strong draft. Going to take a quick break and then get back to discuss the Jets and Miami. So it's easy to sort of see some themes and trends develop as I go through this draft recap. I think with New England, uh, versatility and depth was kind of the, the theme of their draft. Buffalo was kind of need-based at the top, and they took their shots upside-wise in the middle and bottom end. Uh, the Jets' theme to me was an interesting one. I, I think the bottom of their draft was fueled mainly culturally, and they took four captains in a row at the bottom end. And I think they're trying to build the leadership within that locker room now. An interesting way to go about doing that. Traditionally, I would think you really want to make sure your high-end guys are your leaders. You know, I coached under uh, Steve Briggs at Susquehanna. And he always harped on the fact that his best teams were when his le- best players were his best leaders. So... I'm not sure if the bottom to middle end of the roster will have enough, carry enough weight in, in terms of their influence on the others. Now, it's never a bad thing to draft a leader. I'm not saying that. But I wish they targeted more of a captain-type player earlier in the draft as opposed to doing it on the back end. Um, just just a, a, a little nitpick there. But I do like the general direction the Jets went in in this year's draft. And that starts with the 191st pick. Now, not a sexy one for a lot of you, but Braden Mann, the punter out of Texas A&M. I mean, (laughs) punter is a very important position in the NFL, and you kind of realize that once you lose a good one and take a long time to replace it, and I kind of think that's where the Jets are right now. Mann was a captain, like I said, like all these bottom four guys for the Jets. Ray Guy winner, unanimous All-American um, also brings some versatility because he does do kickoffs as well, so they can kind of target a, a place kicker uh, long-term that is maybe favors accuracy over power. Um, I mean, the game he had against Clemson was ridiculous. He was arguably, arguably the MVP of the game. Even his tight punt, 
you know, when you're backed up inside your own, you know, three or four yard line, the, the punter has different rules. He can't go through his normal routine or else the kick is going to get blocked. It's more of a catch and kick scenario. And he still rocketed one like 65 yards. He's just a phenomenal player. Um, their punting situation, like I said, has kind of stunk for a while. So I like the pick. You might as well, if you're going to take a punter, t- take the best one that I've seen in quite some time in college football. I, I think man sticks around and will be a kind of a Jet fan favorite going forward. Bryce Hall at 158. Now, another captain, a grinder. He's a guy that I'm just not sure runs well enough to play traditional corner in the NFL, kind of more of a situational guy. Um, he's a very sound tackler and a dynamic blitzer, so maybe some in- immediate help on special teams. Now, he did eat Daniel Jones alive when they played Duke. He had two picks in the game. He's kind of a gamer, uh, grinder, just a he's a lift in the locker room. And again, I, I like that. I just wish that he showed a little bit more on tape in terms of NFL translatable skill set. Now, emotional player as well, but I just don't know if he can play man coverage at a high enough level to be a consistent factor in the NFL. So 158 I was okay with. Guys had him mocked way earlier than that, which I was surprised to see. So again, I'm pretty neutral on the pick. Their next pick was Cameron Cameron Clark, an offensive tackle from Charlotte, 6'5", 308, captain again. Um, He was the team's offensive MVP as a sophomore, consensus all-conference player. Um, I do like that he was part of something at Charlotte from the ground up. They were a newer program to Division I, and he led them eventually to their first-ever bowl game this year. So I kind of like that, you know, started from the bottom, now we're here, story with Cameron Clark. I think that translates well in football wherever you go, uh, understanding what it takes to build from hard times. And, and I think the Jets probably will still have some some difficulties in the AFC East. I, I like Buffalo better. I think Miami loaded up big time in this draft. So it's going to be important to have character guys like Cameron Clark that are willing to help build it from the ground up. Um, not sure he's athletic enough to start, but I do like him from a depth standpoint. Um, like I said, his biggest asset is probably the positivity he'll bring uh, to the room culturally. Kind of does remind me, skill set-wise, a little bit of a mini version of Makai Becton, who they took with the first pick. So I think if he could be a sponge and sort of learn from Becton and hear the coaching that Becton is receiving and apply it to his own game, I think he actually can one day become a tackle in this league now, that's pushing it athletically, I get it, but a, a nice piece depth-wise for the Jets at tackle. I thought it was a, a, a decent pick. I think they could have found a little more impact at 129, but I'm not going to kill it. 125, they went in a very, very interesting direction with James Morgan, the quarterback from Florida International. Six foot four, 229-pounder captain, born in Green Bay, Wisconsin, which I thought was neat. Um, an older guy, a redshirt senior, very high academic type kid. Now, I say that because he was all academic first team, but his Wonderlick score wasn't great. So maybe he doesn't possess the natural uh, intellect of some of these more brilliant quarterbacks, but that shows me he's got some work ethic. I mean, I was able to finagle my way to a 
what was it, a uh, 1360 two-part SAT score, but barely mustered a 3.0 GPA. So I was, I'm willing to admit it was work ethic was the issue for me. I tested well. I'd rather someone who doesn't test great but shows the work ethic, which Morgan did to become, you know, an all, All-American in the classroom. So interesting uh, sort of dynamic there for Morgan. Now, I don't know if I'm taking a quarterback at 125 when I have Darnold. That's, that's the only reason I'm bearish on the pick. I'm actually not a huge Sam Darnold guy either, to be, to be frank. I think mentally he's a very slow developer and hasn't shown much in his ability to read coverage. I think he's kind of a Fran Tarkenton-type player. I'm talking about Darnold now. Um, sort of scans for open receivers and likes to be on the move. He's super athletic, but doesn't overly efficiently read coverages. And maybe a guy like James Morgan added to the quarterback room there can help his development. That's the only reason I could see that they would take him at 125. And if he does, if he is able to provide that for Darnold, then the pick was a slam dunk. So kind of bearish at 125, but leaning towards neutral on, on the Morgan selection. Their next pick, LaMichael Pirine, running back from Florida. This was the 120th pick. 5'11", 216, ran a 4'6", played a lot of games at Florida. Uh, a decent amount of tread on the tires, 600 touches. Now, Florida is a program that chooses to do game captains as opposed to full season captains. So that kind of, I can't continue the consecutive captain streak, although him and the next guy were game captains at times at Florida. Now, he's to me in the mold of a Zach Moss slash Eno Benjamin, sort of in between those two skill sets occasionally can hit the home run for sure, but not particularly spectacular in any phase. I would say his strongest asset is probably yards after contact and really turning some no-gain slash losses into small positive plays. And just looking at the depth depth chart for the Jets at running back, you know, he's immediately going to be thrusted into a legitimate backup battle, you know, behind Le'Veon Bell. So, I do think Pirine can help right away. Jets picking a running back at 120, probably not the direction I would have gone in. I think they're a little further away than that. But they really did need, uh, they desperately needed some depth at at RB2. And I think Pirine can provide that. Next pick was Jabari Zuniga, also from Florida. This was the 79th overall pick in the draft and an edge rusher. And I wish I got him... uh, in my initial edge rusher podcast, he wasn't really a consensus top hundred in the areas that you know I pulled my data from, so I w- I wasn't able to evaluate him before the draft preview. But he would have been one of my higher graded edge rushers. He's a special athlete, seventy fifth percentile or greater in speed, burst, and strength. Kind of an injury riddled career at Florida. Now for them, he played predominantly strong side end. And his skill set really dictates that he'd be good at that because he's efficient against the run, understands leverage and gap integrity. Um, he's, but he's also a solid and diverse pass rusher. I don't want to sell him short. Um, he shows ability to bull rush as well as speed rush. Uh, I think he has at least average bend and flexibility, runs the tight circle really well. You know, my concern for him, I haven't heard this talked about much, but I didn't see an elite level of pursuit 
on tape? And could that be maybe his conditioning was mediocre because of how often he was hurt at Florida? Maybe I'll write it off to that, but that better change quickly at the NFL level for him to become a dominant player. Um, just possesses a dynamic, rare skill set, and I'm really excited to see how you know his dominance at the point of attack in college. How will that translate at the next level? You know, he's kind of got a little bit of a mini clowny to his game, and you'll see it when you watch the tape. He's just violent with his hands. He likes, he embraces playing the run, and I think Zuniga will be a, a very useful piece for the Jets going forward. Their next pick I was very bearish on. I, Ashton Davis, Coach Ruley and I, the safety out of Cal, uh, 6'1", 200-pounder. Anyway, Coach Ruley and I kind of have a bias against him. We both saw him as more of a track guy playing football as opposed to the other way around. We think he's a bust. We seem to be in the minority. The Jet fans are pretty comfortable with the pick. I just think he's hitting his he's hit his ceiling. I mean, he already does all the little things really well, and he's just to me not a physical enough player. Uh, you know, if you watch the highlight tape, you'll see some kill shots in there, but oftentimes the highlights lie, and these write ups that some of the mainstream mock draft guys have done on him are just not consistent with his down-to-down tape when you sit down and watch the film. So Ashton Davis, I just thought, was a strange pick for the Jets, especially with the two players they currently have at safety. You know, I I understand that maybe they're not going to pay May, so they do need some depth at the position. And I'm not all for drafting need early on. If, if, if Ashton Davis was, you know, the top player on their board at this time, I wouldn't have let their current roster dictate you know, whether or not I draft him. I just was down on Davis uh, overall, so I didn't love the pick. 59th pick, probably the receiver that, for me, fell the furthest that I thought he would, and that's Denzel Mims from Baylor. I just didn't think 6'3", 207, 438, would would drop that far. I mean, the guy murdered the combine. The tape isn't bad. I mean, he's not the most polished route runner, but he creates separation at the top of his routes. You know, I think his technique can be improved upon for sure. But I just thought with his ceiling, I, I mean, I expected him to go higher than 59, put it that way. So I like to pick for the Jets. Obviously, desperately need wide receivers. That room is extremely bare in New York. And I think Denzel Mims hopefully takes to NFL coaching and becomes a polished player because he certainly possesses a, a rare enough skill set that, you know, he can be dominant. Their first pick was number 11. Uh, they got Mekhi Becton. He kind of fell on their lap. I think possibly the failed drug test, you know, that came out really late on Becton is what made him drop to 11. Um, 6 7, 364, just monstrosity of a human being. Um, Tough film at Louisville because they didn't have a whole lot of five and seven step drop stuff. It was uh, a lot of lateral, you know, zone plays. So he just he he's he's kind of raw. I mean, he he's not just a a completely uncoached you know mauler. He does have some technique to him, but he needs to improve, especially in his uh in his pass set to to be a dominant tackle at the next level. I think the the sky is the limit ceiling wise for Becton. I've heard all the right things about him in terms of his work ethic and how he's been sort of 
pursuing becoming a more polished lineman, going to sort of independent offensive line clinics, etc. So he, he wants it, and, and I think Becton will be a good player. I'm neutral on the pick only because there is that question in terms of his floor. Maybe he just somehow does not grasp uh, high-level pass protection. But I, I think he'll be fine. I think Becton at 11, decent pick. Again, not overly you know thrilled about it, but he kind of fell in their lap. They needed a tackle. They had to pull the trigger. So that's my take on the Jets draft. Didn't like the Ashton Davis pick. Love the Zuniga pick. Love the man pick at punter. So I, I, I think they had a, a an okay draft. You know, I thought it was worse in real time than it was, especially in the middle. But watching the Zuniga film really encouraged me. So uh, I think the Jets somewhere in the middle. Now, a team that everyone was really amped up about in this year's draft was the Miami Dolphins. You know, they had a million picks that they stockpiled from that sort of semi-tank job they did last year. And I'll try to run through these. uh, How many picks? 11 players? I'll try to get through them relatively efficiently. Um, Malcolm Perry at 246, listed as a receiver. You know, he ran the Navy triple option offense in college and did so with uh, probably as high level of skill of anyone I've ever seen at Navy, just an illustrious college career, 2,000 yards rushing his senior season, was a captain his senior year. The 40 time was disappointing at 4-6. I don't know if, I don't know how to read into that because he looks a hell of a lot faster than that on tape. I never saw anybody run him down once he got into the open field. So maybe he just plays faster. Maybe he had a bad day with the 40. Not really sure how to see that. Uh, his spark score coming out of high school was off the charts, however. He was in like the 98th percentile and everything. So uh, does that mean he kind of flatlined a little bit since then? Not sure. Um, but Malcolm Perry is a guy that I'm going to be rooting for. He was one of my favorite college players ever to watch. Going to have to be creative on how you get him the ball. But at the 246th pick, I think at worst, he's a guy that you can cut and put on your practice squad and he can be very effective in scout team in terms of filling the role of the other team's you know, fastest, speediest, most skilled guy. That's at the, at the bottom end for Perry. I do think he could be, if you're creative, you could find ways to involve him. But he'll be a hell of a scout team player at the bare minimum. Um, Blake Ferguson, they took out, took out 185. LSU long snapper. Now, in his four years at LSU... Um, along with starting every single game, he got his undergrad in three years, double major. Then in his fourth year, he completed his master's. So, I mean, this kid is obviously super, super intelligent. I'm sure he'll be the the long snapper in Miami for a long time. Now, that's a position that, kind of like punter, but long snapper even more so. Once you run out of them and if yours goes down, it could be literal chaos that's something I dealt with at Susquehanna. You know, we had some injuries at the position. Uh, one kid volunteered uh, to donate bone marrow, actually, before the season started. So we were really thin at long snapper. And I'm, I'm telling you, every punt, we were holding our breath. Like, oh, my God, it's an inch from getting blocked every time. So <laughs> having a, a long snapper that you could depend on for a long time is a, is a very uh, 
useful thing to have in the NFL, and I'm sure Ferguson will be there for a while. Next two edge rushers, they took at 164 and 154. I really like both picks. The first was Curtis Weaver from Boise State. You know, he made his way all the way up to like fifth or fourth on my overall edge rusher big board. Uh, I just think he's sneaky, athletic, a relentless, ferocious animal of a player. Now only 6'2", a little bit limited in that regard, but he's agile, can be an effective zone blitz dropper if you want to do that. And I know Greg Williams, I mean, I know the Dolphins intend on blitzing a lot. I was thinking uh, Greg Williams for the Jets for a second there. But Miami is going to be a high blitz rate team as well. So that agility should you know pay off for Curtis Weaver. I'm excited to see how he develops at the next level. At worst, absolute worst, he's a solid roti- rotational defensive end. But uh, I think he's better than that. Similar to, to Strobridge, who they got at 154. Jason Strobridge, edge rusher from North Carolina. Um, another guy... Kind of like how we talked about who was it the uh, the Charlotte lineman from um, that the Jets took at one twenty nine Clark yeah so Strobridge kind of was another guy who built it from the bottom UNC was really struggling in the beginning of his career there and they eventually became bowl eligible Mac Brown did a really nice job with that program but Strobridge I think another guy who really played out of position. They had him inside a lot, a lot of three-tech even. I just think he's a natural defensive end, and I'm not knocking their coaching staff. I think that was probably out of necessity, but the reason he doesn't flash too much on film to me is that he was out of position. Um, Does a good job in pursuit, very coachable, blocked four kicks, so I think right away he's a contributor on special teams. You know, high-end speed, burst, and agility. You know, I think he was over the 75th to 80th percentile in all areas in that regard at the combine. So he's definitely athletic enough, similar to Weaver in that he's a rotational end as his floor, but probably even has a little bit more upside because of his position flex. You can kick him inside if need be. But again, I think end is his home, and I'm hopeful that the Dolphins will realize that and, and get the best out of him their next three picks I didn't love uh 111 they took Solomon Kinley six foot three guard from Georgia 337 pounds now he was heavier than that in season just kind of plays like a big fatty if you ask me he's strong as hell um his probably his best asset is his anchor and his pass set you know, he has a desire to find work. He plays violent. I found it interesting he was named game captain week one, which sort of in, would indicate that he put in a lot of work in the offseason, but I just didn't see it with his body. He just seemed sloppy to me. He's got short arms, just not my type of, of player at the interior offensive line position. Just to me, just too fat and slow. I mean, I don't want to be harsh, but... That's what I saw in Kinley at one eleven. I thought that was a bit of a reach. Um, as did at 70 with Brandon Jones, 5'11", 198. Quick bursty safety from Texas. A good angle tackler, good roll tackler. You know, he'll add in, he'll cap off guys, so he's not afraid to play violent. But just undersized, short strider. I just, I can't really see him being able to patrol hash to hash. And I don't think he has elite man coverage skills to say he can come down and play some nickel so I think he's a 
sort of a tweener, but if anything, he needs to work on his man skills because I think he has a better chance in that area than he does uh, at, at true safety. So Jones, I thought at 70, was actually one of the bottom safeties on my board that I evaluated. I, I think that was a bit early for him. I, I thought he was more of a fourth-round type player. Um, Raekwon Davis, they got at 56, 6'6", 311 pounds. And if you told someone three or four years ago that they would get Raekwon Davis at 56, they wouldn't believe you because he really flashed as a freshman in the national title game. Just undeniable athleticism. But kind of similar to Anthony Jennings, he just never really developed from a technique and effort standpoint. The athleticism is there, but just constantly poor eyes, poor pad level, and just questionable motor and attitude on tape. I don't understand where this comes from with these Bama players, but it's becoming a trend, and it's something I'm not a huge fan of. I mean, he may even be able to play 3-4 defensive end. I mean... I guess he's a three-tech, ideally, you know, flashes ability, but not the type of guy I'm reaching for at 56 just because I need relentless effort on defense is sort of a prerequisite for how I want to play. Now, interesting that they kind of took these high-ceiling guys without much floor guarantee because they had so many picks in the draft, it actually does make some sense. Like, they can afford to whiff completely on two or three guys maybe even more than that and whereas these other teams can't afford that because of just a lack of you know you know total picks so I understand why they maybe took a stab here but I I would have passed on Raekwon and let him be someone else's problem in spite of his athleticism Um, at 39 this was one of my favorite players in the draft actually Robert Hunt interior offensive lineman from Louisiana Lafayette now, he, he played a lot of tackle in college, but I think he profiles nicely at guard at the next level. He was a guy that, I mean, I didn't expect him to go this early, 39. It was pretty cool to see him go there. Um, some red flags, some theft issues and accusations early on in his career at Louisiana, but his coaching staff kind of praised him. Maybe he was immature and kind of got the the uh, the bad stuff stuff out of the way early in his career uh, I'm, I'm not sure too much about his past before that uh, I know coach McLaughlin was on in the uh, offensive lineman podcast and talked a little bit about Robert Hunt having a, a tough upbringing so maybe he just a little immature when he got to college and has learned the ropes now um, strong agile you know I think he transitions beautifully to guard. He's very powerful and coils well. He's limber, finishes his blocks, maintains power angles, kind of all the things you want to see in a big-time guard. And I think Robert Hunt will be that for Miami for years to come. Hopefully he doesn't get any bad influences down in South Beach, but luckily we're all in quarantine for a little while or longer, so he doesn't have time to get in trouble down there. 30th pick, Noah Ibanagani, corner from Auburn. This was kind of an eye-opener for a lot of people. I don't think people thought Noah was a first-round pick. Another guy that is more ceiling than floor. He's got a lot of upside. He was young for a junior. You know, He ran a 4-4-8, kind of transitioned from receiver to defensive back early on in his career at Auburn. Um, I think his greatest skill set probably 
is man coverage in the slot, and that's a very desirable trait in the modern league. And the Dolphins kind of made a big statement taking a player like this at 30. You know, I think they're going to play a lot of nickel, so he'll be on the field, you know, early and often, and maybe even in part of a base set. So that's Ibanagani. I was neutral on the pick only because I thought it was slightly early to pull the trigger there, but, you know, it, they value that position clearly. So I think Noah will have a nice NFL career. Next guy, Austin Jackson. They took it with the 18th overall pick. Offensive tackle from USC. Big boy, 6'5", 322. Just, to me, a total project. Um, I think a lot of people have... Uh, taken for granted that just, okay, let him get a year or two of seasoning and he's going to be a monster. Just, I mean, at 18, he just is so raw. I, I don't know if that's more the direction I'm going. There's so many more talented guys available at that stage of the draft that I thought, if anything, they could have possibly traded down at this at this point as well. But people are high on Austin Jackson. I didn't quite see it as far as, you know, a guaranteed stud in the future, but he does have some some athleticism and, you know, has really long arms. He kind of just hasn't learned how to use his body parts to the best of his ability. I, I can't really think of a more efficient way to explain it. He just kind of hasn't grown into his entire frame yet. Now, once he does learn his craft, he also needs to become more violent and play through the whistle. But he does some fluid things athletically that kind of clue you in that he will be a big-time player one day. And I just think I kind of overlooked his frame and arm length and how important that was for GMs at the tackle position. Because in the film itself, it didn't dictate first-round talent. But if you look at the measurables, and that's something I learned a lot in this year's draft, I overlooked the measurables a little bit too much possibly and put more value into the tape. And I think these NFL coaches and GMs are a little bit more confident in their ability to sort of mold something, someone from, from nothing just based on their you know, athletic prowess, size, strength, and uh, ability, whereas I wanted to see a little bit more productivity on tape. So I'll, I'll, I'll have to keep that in mind going forward, and Austin Jackson was a glaring example of that. And the first pick... Miami had number five. They got Tua, obviously the Alabama quarterback, and I'm very happy they went in this direction as opposed to Justin Herbert. You know, Tua's been sort of penciled in as their guy for years. Tank for Tua. They didn't even get the number one pick. They ended up falling all the way back to five because of how well they played down the stretch. Coach Flores has done a, has done a really nice job with Miami. And I just think organically getting Tua at five without having to, you know, move around or trade up was was a big home run for for the Dolphins. I think Tua has a heck of, heck of a career in Miami. The injury concerns are real. I kind of dispelled the worries that it was just an amazing offense that carried him. Once I watched the tape and once I had Coach Pachusi on to discuss quarterbacks, you know, we thought it was selling to a short to to sort of credit his dominance at Bama to his teammates. You know, he he may have made some of them look even better in hindsight. So two out of five, I think, is a slam dunk. I think the Dolphins had a good draft, an interesting draft. 
sort of went in a number of different directions. Uh, I love the Strobridge and Weaver picks. I even like the Malcolm Perry pick just because I think scout team-wise, if he doesn't make the roster, offers tremendous upside in that area. So that's the AFC East. I think the Bills are in position to sort of take the next step and dominate this division for the next year or two. I think Miami is coming along quickly. I think New England is sort of in flux and in limbo. Obviously, you lose Tom Brady. It's going to be a little bit of a punch to the gut. And I'm very curious how Bill Belichick does without him. You know, that that debate of chicken or the egg, is it Belichick or is it Brady? You know, I'm not saying we're going to find that out now because both of them are so far past the primes of their careers that it's not really going to be a fair assessment. But it still will be fun to follow up and, and see how these guys fare uh, separately. So New England, I think, is probably going to be that third team in the division going forward. Right now, they're probably second. Miami's still a year away. And the Jets are just a, a question mark. I, you know, Gase has been a very polarizing figure, uh, controversial type guy. Something tells me that they're going to go in a different direction soon. At head coach, you know, Joe Douglas, who they brought in, to be the general manager, wasn't the guy who hired Gase. And I, I, I always like to have my GM and coach be kind of linked together. That way, uh, you know, everyone is more on the same page and you could tie credit and blame to them uh, in one fell swoop. I, I think the dynamic of having a, a coach not attached to the GM is a little bit tricky to navigate. So I think the Jets are going to have some more tricky years in the AFC East, albeit they did have a pretty decent draft. I want to thank everybody once again for listening and keep an eye out for the next podcast, which will be the AFC North that should be dropping soon. Thanks again.